recording with Dr. Seek on Monday, August 14th, 2023 at 2.35 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, as I was just telling him, I apologize. I just walked in the door um, and uh, trying to be as professional as I can. And I'm like, I'm a little nervous. I'm, I feel like I ran out of my... I feel like I ran out of like like my room doing like a like a meeting or something, and I'm like double checking. I'm like I have pants on. I'm like there's nothing. Everything's good. There's nothing like everything's good. Nothing showing in the background. Everything's. This is probably the quickest I've ever gone from walking in the door to starting a podcast, except for that fan is in the shot. So I'm gonna move that. Doctor C, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah. Good morning. Hey. Uh, it's afternoon for you, Tommy. Still morning for me out here at West Coast. I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. But my name is Robert Seek. I am a PharmD. I'm a doctor of pharmacy. I'm a pharmacy owner in Las Vegas, Nevada. I own a compounding pharmacy, pharmacy that's licensed in almost all 50 states. I've got two to go. And uh, I'm associated with the wellness company. I'm their chief of integrated therapeutics. And that FMNM, after my doctor of pharmacy credential, is fellow in metabolic and nutritional medicine. Uh, my career went from working in traditional drugstores, hospitals, to over 10 years of clinical research in the biotech industry. And I bought a compounding pharmacy uh, with some partners in 2005. I'm the only partner now and became passionate about functional uh, medicine or integrative medicine where we combine, you know, a few choice prescription items. I think the future of medicine will see a lot of repurposed drugs. And let's talk about, you know, what just what we saw ivermectin repurposed during now, COVID. Right. right, right. Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And the way forward driven by not only public demand, but forward thinking medical practitioners is going to be an integrate for health and wellness, lifestyle change, uh, targeted, focused nutritional supplementation, therapy, and and more to make people well, so that we're not so dependent on that pharmaceutical industrial Machine, complex, which yeah. is in business to make you sick, no doubt. And and you know this this is where I'm at. I'm glad I'm in this uh, space for all the turmoil that there has been, some ups and downs. It's a good spot to be. Could you explain to me what compounding and yes, excuse me, posting the live link right now. Could you explain to me uh, what compounding pharmacy is? I, I, I have very limited knowledge. I, I, I graduated college in 2013. I got into medical school in Miami, decided that wasn't for me. Applied to pharmacy school in Florida, got in, decided that wasn't for me. So I have like a somewhere there's still like a little a little candle in my heart for pharmacy. That being said, I, what is compounding pharmacy? So thanks for asking that, because I'll give you an explanation. So a lot of people don't know. Uh, I own an independent pharmacy, so I'm not one of the big chain drugstores. But like any pharmacy, we receive prescriptions and we dispense prescriptions pursuant to a practitioner's order. I don't accept insurance. That's a whole other topic. I don't because I would actually lose money oh, yeah. on eight out of 10 claims. I hated working retail pharmacy two weeks after graduating school thinking, what did I do this for? So many people are just picking up their medication after medication, and the older they were, the more they're picking up. I'm like, this just isn't right for health and wellness. And then yeah. I went to the total dark side in the industry. But in compounding, we uh, we need prescriptions for what we do, but it's drugs that typically are not commercially available for one reason or another. So we actually have to make them in a lab. And oh. There's two types of compounding, non-sterile, so that's capsules and creams, and sterile compounding. And the biggest jump in the compounding business uh, was made around 2008, 2009. Suzanne Summers published a book on her experience getting natural or bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, different from uh, the pharmaceuticalized chemical hormone replacement therapy, uh, a drug we call Premarin, which actually uh, there's another one called PremPro, which includes a progestin, a petroleum derived hormone analog that was only approved in the United States and Canada. And Suzanne Summers, well, Chrissy might not necessarily be the best clinical resource of knowledge and information, but she drove public awareness as women, baby boomer women especially, went through menopause and said, well, one, this this is horrible. And, and I don't want all of these toxic drugs. And Wyeth was pushed, the manufacturer of Premarin and Prempro, was encouraged to conduct a study and look at the safety of Premarin and Prempro. And they were looking at billions of dollars in sales. What they didn't realize what the outcome would be, which is the fact that the, those drugs, especially the women on the progestin, different from progesterone, the medroxyprogesterone acetate chemical that makes up the pro part of Prempro, increased the risk of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, heart attack, and stroke. And millions of women refused to take the pharmaceutical hormones and turn to 
Suzanne Summers, one of her four books and said, I've done really well as a breast cancer survivor, even on bioidentical hormones made by a compounding pharmacy that remade our industry. And it's still a big part of my business today. And from there, uh, there's been a lot of interest in alternative therapeutics. We talked about ivermectin. Uh, hydroxychloroquine doesn't need to be compounded, but I can make hydroxychloroquine suspension for kids. And I got calls for that uh, during COVID. Uh, we do some veterinary formulas. A lot of human medications are still used for veterinary application. Those have to be compounded. And being out here in Nevada, where we have an area called Area 51, uh, there happen to be a lot of retired guys who previously worked for the Department of Energy. And Department of Energy does what? There, there are civilian contractors, often on nuclear reactors. So mm -hmm. whether it's a power plant or a submarine, you're, these you're, civilian you're, contractors, you're unfortunately, my, you're speaking my love language right now. Area Fifty One, yeah. Department of Energy, DARPA, Skunk Works. You're, you've, you're, I'm listening. Well, there's a lot of that. I'm so listening. These Go guys, on. Unfortunately, uh, well, one engagement I have, which, which is important, because. Uh, a compounding pharmacy can provide things for Department of Energy workers or retirees that are victims of exposure illness. Oh, yeah. So you can accumulate alpha particles if you're around an alpha emitter too long. Uh, the poor guys don't listen. And for 20 years, they're grabbing the beryllium bars yeah. with their bare hands. So yeah. they end up with berylliosis. They inhale the silica from, you know, the fiberglass insulation, the lung silicosis. It's kind of a brotherhood. And I laugh. I'm like, of course, who wouldn't want to retire out in, you know, Pahrump, Nevada? So all the coal miners from the Northeast come out here and they've got coal miners pneumoconiosis. And there's special things that we can do. I have a, I have a credential with the Department of Energy just for that. We can help detox the lungs. Uh, we can reduce that alpha particle toxicity. Uh, if they're exposed to radiation, they might have nerve damage. And they are on, sadly, a number of regular traditional prescription drugs, but the specialty things that really advance the treatment of their issues come from a compounding pharmacy. So that's uh, that's the long explanation. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think I dove deep into, into what that is. So did I answer your question, Absol what a compounding pharmacy is? Absolutely. Um, I guess really kind of two directions to go into would be all that stuff with Area 51. But uh, uh, we said a couple minutes ago, you talking about COVID and, you know, people coming in and or older and older people coming in and you know what am i doing this isn't right you're just creating like a user base and then you you said one line you said so you went to the dark side of the industry what what is that what is that i want to go back and open that up what is what is dark side of the industry so what i'm working as a as a retail pharmacist chain drugstore and i told you after two weeks after graduating school my parents were upset i, I grew up uh, south of pittsburgh pennsylvania in a steel mill town okay yeah. i went to school in pittsburgh at duquesne university and i'm working at a chain drugstore and I go visit my mom and dad. They're like, well, how do you like it? You're out of school and you're getting your first pharmacist paychecks. I'm like, mom, dad, I hate it. This is like, terrible. Why? Yeah. I said, somebody comes in, they're in their 20s. All the girls are on birth control pills. Uh, you know, the guys will start NSAID therapy, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. They'll start those in their 30s. And and then, you know, the with each decade of life, people are on more and more medications that once you're Medicare age or a little older, you don't have anything to do. Uh, all day, but pay attention to the timer and when you have to take your medication. Yeah. Something like, there's something just wrong about this, right? Mm. And uh, so I moved to Las Vegas just because in 1997, two years after I graduated, the pharmacist jobs were plentiful and they paid 50% more than Pennsylvania. So I said, okay, if I'm going to go somewhere, yeah. I'm going to make money and decide what what is the next thing that I'm going to do. So well, let me try to get into the drug industry. At, at least it's a good lifestyle, yeah. especially if you're in sales. If you're yeah. in sales yeah. at the time. Yeah. Well, before time, date, GPS stamping, yeah. right? If yeah. you're a drug sales rep, uh, we called it the 5T work week, Tuesday through Thursday, 10 to 2. That was the 5T work week. It was okay. That was really wasn't fulfilling, handing out the little uh, stuffed uh, Claritin baseball. I worked for Shearing Plow for a while. And then the Prescription Drug Marketing Act eliminated that. I said, well, I really, this isn't fulfilling. I'm, I'm making some money. It's an easy lifestyle. Uh, but with a PharmD, I got I went over to a biotech company. So typically, that's a sales job you would get when people are ten years older than I was at the time, and uh, they had more senior. Like, well, you got a PharmD. We're going to use you for these complicated therapeutics, and these were drugs for rare pediatric immune disorders, virology, infectious disease, and uh, I did work sales in that company for a while. And then they said, "Wait a minute, you're you're a PharmD, and our medical liaison just left. You're going to be the new medical liaison. And what's that? That's clinical trials management." So when a drug comes out of in vitro research, 
um, and early research in animals and goes into human research. You got phase two clinical trials, small group of humans, and you got phase three. That's the trial for, we're gonna submit for FDA approval because phase two proved that, okay, we've got a good shot. So let's not spend the big money on phase three until we need to. Now it's phase three. Get out there, call on 35 clinical trial sites, which I did. So from Las Vegas, a direct flight to any city I needed to go to, uh, Portland, Seattle, gosh, I, you know, San Diego, LA. I had the best territory in the country. Sure. And even Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh, yeah. So I thought clinical research would be a more pure pursuit of the industry. Uh, I just didn't like this pill pushing. And I learned a lot because I did my MBA in 2003. And what did I learn? I learned these stark facts that for one, the pharmaceutical industry in 2003 controlled over 60% of primetime television advertising, direct to consumer advertising for drugs. And what did the industry, pharma stands for Pharmaceutical Researchers and Manufacturers Association. So that's P-H-R-M-A. And pharma knew at the time that, well, if we spend this money, 65% of the time, a patient visits a primary care doctor, they're going to ask for a drug by name because we, we put it on the mm -hmm. screen. Right. Ask your doctor and, about. Right. And 80 percent of the time they ask for it, they get it. And then what happened to medicine? So all the medical doctors uh, that understand, gosh, I've seen a 20 year transition in medicine where the average primary care visit went from not necessarily 30 minutes, but let's say 20 minute visit. The average primary care visit today is 7.6 minutes and usually results in one or two prescriptions. And there's some medical providers that work for the corporations that provide medicine. And, and I call them expensive box checkers. I'm kind of cynical. And sometimes I say that to say, you know what, maybe you as a practitioner can consider learning about things to make your patients healthier mm -hmm. instead of just cashing that paycheck, your W-2 that you get from your corporation. Because how many of you actually look at the patient these days? How many put your hands on the patient as opposed to looking at the screen, typing, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're clicking boxes on the electronic health record form. It spits out, well, these are the potential diagnoses. Click, click, you click on those. And then it's, okay, you work for a corporation. So it's only the corporate approved treatment plan. Mm -hmm. Okay, what pharmacy do you want? Okay, great. I've solved your problem. I've given you prescriptions. Now, now get out of here. Uh, that's cookbook, expensive box checker medicine. You go to the retail drugstore and you pick it up and it's a fabulous model to drive utilization and utilization mm. of drugs. And, and practitioners will tell you, gosh, 30 years ago, what I'd get reimbursed for a primary care visit was great, but now it's, it's, it's almost nothing. And, and that's the state of medicine today. So there's, there is a break that is occurring. Uh, like I said, I do own my compounding pharmacy, but I'm associated with the wellness company. And that's mm -hmm. the company that brought us together. Mm -hmm. And they have a passion for changing the way medicine is going to go. And I see it going one of two ways. We're going to go from those expensive box checkers to either foreign physicians in India or the Philippines as your telehealth primary care doc or even an AI program. So let's bring in a movie scene from uh, the movie Elysium, right? Remember the robot that treated Matt Damon? Oh, okay, you, it's a problem and the solution is a prescription. And look at what the FDA does when they get in the way of trade. The FDA had threatened to remove N-acetylcysteine from the market during COVID. So Amazon said, yes, you know, we'll take it off of our website. I had access to it the whole time. There was concern about it uh, being rid of N-acetylcysteine. There's a whole book written about it. And it's in that short list of supplement category that if I was going to take one thing that reduces inflammation, helps build up uh, glutathione, which detoxifies, N-acetylcysteine actually has direct activity on inhibiting the replication of COVID. It is in combination products to help treat acute COVID or even spike protein, which is driving inflammation. And it's a vitamin, but we feared that it was going to get targeted. And without public awareness that is drawn to it by the alternative minded practitioners, uh, companies like the wellness company, maybe we would have lost it. So I think there's going to be a, a schism. There's going to be a split in medicine. And, and I'm happy to, again, contribute my knowledge over the last 20 years of integrating what used to be called alternative, right? Uh, get out in the sun without sunglasses and walk the earth barefoot, eat clean food and, and don't drink soda, you know, stuff like that. Well, that's, that's the alternative. It, you don't need drugs. You can do a lot with good nutrition and nutritional supplements because our agricultural soil is so depleted. So let's do that. And it's like, wait a minute. 
that's not medicine, Robert. That's that's quackery. That's voodoo. That's the alternative. And I say, no, it's not. Because when you take a man-made molecule made by the pharmaceutical industry that has never been in the human body before, and you say, this is what treatment is. No, no, no. That is the alternative. That is the alternative to what is natural. But I'm not completely opposed to the pharmaceutical industry because the way I see it, really, we could do a lot in the world of health and wellness with 100 prescription drugs, and the vast majority of them now are generic. They're off patent. They're cheap and they will be repurposed because watch this. If you just go to, last comment, pubmed.com and type in ivermectin and cancer, we're going to find a lot of information that has been available for years, for decades. It was a new phenomenon for hydroxychloroquine, for example, and its activity against any virus that depended on an enzyme that we call RNA-dependent RNA polymerase for replication. That's what it does. It helps the virus replicate. And hydroxychloroquine has activity against it. Hydroxychloroquine is anti-inflammatory. It's been used to treat autoimmune diseases. So that's a repurposed drug that is relatively cheap. You know, you compare it to, say, remdesivir. So I like to give the economic examples. Remdesivir is a hospital treatment, IV treatment, that they used for COVID. It was never approved by phase three trials. Why? Because it was so darn toxic. It caused multi-organ dysfunction in 65% of patients, not necessarily failure, but multi-organ dysfunction. I mean, that's a bad enough term, 65%. So it never made it to phase three trials, but hey, we can take this pig and we can put it under the emergency use under authorization umbrella and we can make money as a drug company because they'll sell it for $238 a dose and motivate the hospitals to make it part of protocol because the hospitals will get reimbursed $2,800 per dose from Medicare and $3,200 per dose from private insurance. So I'm happy to be in the space where collectively, my pharmacy with my knowledge of the wellness company, we say, no, we have a different approach to healthcare. We're running telehealth right now. Uh, we're advocates of lifestyle change and nutritional supplements and, and come with us as we explore for the next 10, 20 years, uh, getting off of the complete totalitarian pharmaceutical model only not not completely off drugs but let's let's stop letting them drive what the perception of healthcare is hmm. yeah it's like the it's like the criticism of of you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater the everyone's on their iPhones and it's like yeah but it's you can't throw the whole thing out it's also good to have the totality of human knowledge accessible at the speed of light in your pocket with a GPS like that's that's dope you shouldn't throw that out but there is this is also sort of i guess like you know, I guess in the space I'm in for doing podcasts for three years is is getting censored on YouTube and then realizing there was no pushback. It was just it's a it's a giant. It's a trillion dollar behemoth. And there's there's nothing to do. It's just the end result of, you know, 15, 20 years of, of Internet consolidation. It starts as the Wild West and then slowly over 20 years consolidated into kind of giant planets twitter instagram youtube and then there's nothing to do with that and no one really cares until you're you don't care about whether or not your brakes work until you need to hit the brakes right you don't if you're on the highway brakes don't work you don't think about it until you hit a red light and you realize you can't slow down no one really cared about the monopoly of it was the government involved probably it's probably something thrown in the patriot act the nsa is doing something hey what do you care it's 2019 who cares all right, well, then there's a virus. And it, you start talking about it with doctors like I did and just start getting warnings. And you're like, what the hell is this? You talk about an election. You talk about anything. You start getting little tags and little throttles. And you're like, hey, the, you know, I need the brakes, but the brakes don't work. And there's nothing to do and there's nowhere to go. Well, inevitably, a bunch of other things rise up. BitChute, Odyssey, CloudUp, on Rumble, Spotify. Well, Spotify is already there. And then really Rumble, I think, is breaking away from the pack. And now there is an actual model. No one's throwing out the idea of social media or of or of videos, which is the very meta idea of there being videos and you can comment and subscribe and get into arguments with people you'll never meet. They're not throwing that out. It's just moving away from YouTube. And more and more people are going over there as censorship hits more and more people. No one cares about censorship until it comes knocking on your... I'm not talking about COVID. I'm not talking about Ukraine. What do I care? Well, you're streaming Ghost Recon on your video game stream, and all of a sudden, if uh, you know you say asshole, you get demonetized. 
Well, now you care. And so the more people it touches, the more people see the value in a new thing and they move over. And then as more people come to rumble, it gets more it's it's fortifying itself and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So the reason I'm saying all that is, is I feel like this was this was probably the inevitable end result of just a free market and corporations. Right. They the big fish eats all the smaller fish and get bigger and bigger. And, yeah, if it's just checking boxes and it's quicker, and you can get more patience and. This was probably the end result, but when we reached for the brakes, they didn't work, and it happened during the pandemic, and no one really bats an eye if it's if it's Adderall versus Ritalin versus Concerta versus whatever, but all of a sudden, you're like, hey, I need to get ivermectin, and you can't get it, and then you have pharmacists like, yeah, I'll write it for you anyway, and then they're getting notices like you're going to you lose your job, and it's like, oh, there's a real problem here, and it sucks. And you play shoulda, coulda, woulda. We never should have let it get to this point. Then you make peace with the fact that we are at this point, And you go, what steps are we taking from here? Am I anywhere near the target? But that's kind of what's happening with medicine. You are. And I have two things to comment on. One will be short. And, and one will be a little bit longer. And I'll tell you part it. about, you know, this is the first time you and I are meeting. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. and you'll learn a little bit about my journey in all things that are relevant to where we are today in this common unified space for freedom and wellness. Uh, the short one is I was absolutely outraged by the fact that chain drugstores trained their pharmacists to refuse, turn away, and even mock and belittle people who presented prescriptions for hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin for COVID. Mm-hmm. So that's outrageous. And one, that tells me this is a pharmacist who is unaware of the clinical data. If you don't know something, don't comment. It's well, I didn't I didn't know hydroxychloroquine could be used for viruses. Is there is there any literature on that? And, and you go at this been 15 years of research on hydroxychloroquine against different viruses and parasites. Four men shared the Nobel Prize in science and medicine in 2015 for their work on ivermectin in humans. And it wasn't just for river blindness. Ivermectin disturbs tubules that are uh, important for parasites to reconstruct themselves, but also solid tumor cancers. So we're going to find this. But what I was most outraged by is, look, I know what the pharmacist's role is. If I wanted to go to medical school, which I thought about, I, I would have done that. I would be the diagnostician. I would decide what treatment is. And if I needed to, I would consult with the pharmacist. Hey, what do you think about this? What, what would you dose this product at, at, at what number of milligrams for how many days for this issue? That's I've trained myself to be aware of the data and be a good treatment consultant or have an unaware physician say, Robert, I think this is a good idea to try hydroxychloroquine in this patient, but uh, can you? what would your concerns be? And I answered this question during COVID. Well, doc, what's the downside? Like what? I said, hydroxychloroquine has been on the market for decades. It has been used in young and old patients. It has been used worldwide. Some people use it lifelong for autoimmune disorders like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. When have you heard about serious adverse events? It's not that there's zero. If you have a particular type of heart rhythm abnormality, we call torsades de pont, you know, the, the triangles, what we call the QRS complex. And when you turn it over, that's called turning of the points, torsades de pont. Okay, that's a, that's a person you might want to con- reconsider hydroxychloroquine. However, if the benefits outweigh the risk, this person's going to die if they don't get appropriate treatment for the virus, then, then okay, their, their rhythm is under control. So let's try the hydroxychloroquine. I would say, what's the downside? But to refuse treatment as a pharmacist is a medical intervention. Uh, I live in a state, Nevada, where the governor banned the dispensing along with the hydroxychloroquine. Uh, along with the Board of Pharmacy, they banned dispensing hydroxychloroquine. I never refused to fill a prescription. They were sued, and successfully that lawsuit went through. They were sued for the practice of medicine because denying a treatment is the same as deciding what the treatment is. Well, yeah, it's like no answer is an answer. No comment. That is a comment. No, your, your doctor made the decision. I say no, because my corporation I'm working for, one of the big chain drugstores, they said no. And, and people ask me, like, well, why is that? Why did they do that? Why did the Walgreens and CVS do that? Well, I'll tell you why. And the second thing I wanted to get into was a little bit longer. Uh, I've been studying the things that brought us to this confluence of events in the world, uh, yeah, really since 2018, seriously, but in 2014, I have a good friend and mentor, still really good friends. He is a physician. Uh, you know, I don't want to say his age because then it'll start to target, well, well, who is this guy? He's also um, an admiral in the U.S. Navy. Uh, doesn't work as a physician. He's out there doing the stuff. He's doing the stuff that you and I 
want him and his team to be doing and Godspeed to them. And uh, when he enlightened me on the fact that here's the entities that are really in control of the world and here are their plans. It used to sound crazy to me. And I said, you know, I know that you're not crazy. I know you're not lying. And none of this is mainstream. And I, I get it because it's complete control. So you could either commission me right now, which you didn't do. I said, but you could. Or you could train me like mm -hmm. you do your other flag officers. He said, okay, that's what I'll do. And he sent me a list of 14 books to read that year and another 12 books to read afterwards on a wide variety of subjects. And one of the subjects I go down on is, um, well, there's a company. Uh, it was a group of German industrialists. They formed a, 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 a group. They called it IG Farben. Second World War. IG Farben, yeah. Okay, so IG Farben. IG is a two-letter abbreviation for a German word. Intermessige Mineshaft. Interessinger Mineshaft. And what that means is of common interests, our, com our community of interests. And if you think about the model then with Edmund Bernays, mm -hmm. who, was who was sought out by Joseph Goebbels, okay, mm -hmm. the head of Nazi propaganda. Bernays was Sigmund Freud's nephew. Both of mm -hmm. those guys are a little twisted. Yeah. Okay. Bernays published the book in 1920, Propaganda. And those Nazis, Goebbels said, hey, we need that. We need to convince uh, the German people that it's good to go to war. Uh, we need to do that. Now, now we're in the 21st century. How advanced is all of that methodology to say if it's nothing more than to make money, a group of industrialists get together and they say, you know, you go out there and you take control of the media and medical school education. And we're going to define what that is. We are, us industrialists. Now, you go out there and you make people sick. Tell them they need fluoride in their water. Now, you, drug industry, you go over there and you make drugs that are going to treat all the side effects and the sicknesses that are going to cause, be caused by everything that we decide to do, including, hey, let's rip things out of commercial agricultural soil. for Let's get boron. Let's get copper out of uh, the soil. And, and then people are going to be depleted and they're going to have these disorders. And you know what? You over there, you've, you control the agricultural chemical companies. Now pharmaceutical and agricultural chemical manufacturers are, are nearly one and the same. Yeah. Bear and Monsanto are one company now. And you know what? These people are going to get sick and we're going to provide the treatments, but we have to create what the public perception is of that treatment. It's only what we say it is, and they dominate direct-to-consumer advertising. And I've had people, physicians, sit across from me at a table. Just that, Robert, that just sounds crazy. And I don't think there are people that are that nefarious and evil and i said but that's the problem right because you and i don't think this way it, this is so i always bring up this point so i don't interrupt whenever i bring up any of this stuff i always say you're talking as a loving rational human that just wants to get married have some kids buy a dog and watch the sunset on fridays you're not talking as a demon from hell exactly and it's hard to conceptualize for people that that's that's what's going on and and here's where we are and it takes a while Mm -hmm. And that has sometimes been a big red pill. And I've talked to, you know, older gentlemen, physicians that were in their 60s and 70s. And two days later, their mouth is agape. And this is after a conversation when I said, look, the whole COVID-19 thing is a bioweapons platform. The virus, the EMF, what's in the vaccines, the vaccine, the cell, the mRNA, you know, you can expect if you wanted to run a live human experiment and say, well, these lot numbers are going to have this methodology of causing sickness. These ones are going to have this. These are going to be our placebo control. You could study all that if you wanted to have information in the future to say, well, we just want some people to just have less fertility as they get older. Right. So you can experiment and, and capture data on all, all of this by the lot number of the vaccine. And I had a, a gentleman look at me and just say, that's just that's a terrible bioweapon. There's, there's no way it's a bioweapon. I said, except for the obviousness of its behavior. And your assumption is probably that bioweapons would be the types of things you choose to kill rapidly. Yeah. But there's different levels of biologic warfare, low-level biologic warfare, okay? It's not the movie Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman quickly isolating a group of people that are either treated and cured or they die, but they don't spread to anyone else because that life cycle of the virus is short, and the pathology was so severe. But what if your goal is not a few weeks or a few months to have an impact on a population? What if your goal is five years? What if mm. your goal is 10? What if the goal is 20 years? And, and I'll give you one last point on that. Uh, I had a discussion with some classmates of mine on Telegram and, 
And as I show the articles that are highlighted by, you know, Dr. Pete McCullough, other physicians about their increase in miscarriages, the decreased birth rate in the United States. So we typically, before COVID, would expect the average human female in the United States uh, of childbearing range, so 15 to 44, to the average would be 2.3 children per woman. So slightly above replacement mm -hmm. value for a couple. But after COVID, that dropped down to 2.1. Now, to you and me, that's only two-tenths of a difference, but that's a huge precipitous decline overall. And what does that actually mean? Well, let's say that we have 60 million women approximately in the United States of childbearing age. And we reduce that number. That's 12 million fewer children mm -hmm. born during that woman's lifetime, but it's also fewer female children being born that will they themselves have a lower birth rate. So what's the impact over 10 years or 20 years. And then we're because, one nation and our population is one twentieth of the world's population. So then multiply that by 20. So then you go in 4 billion women. That's right. So you do that and then you think, well, what is the objective? And I don't know what all the objectives are of moving replacement population. We see that happen with North African immigration into Europe. Mm -hmm. We see it happen in the United States because I think you and I know, and you know that, that flag that you have behind you, I have on the back window of my truck Right. And say, you know what? We know that America was the place where they, the founding fathers, put their stake in the ground and said, no, no more of this monarchy. We're going to govern ourselves. And of course, there were the trip hazards. Even mm -hmm. I mean, would you believe that there weren't enough delegates to ratify the Constitution properly in 1789? So we went on Constitution 2.0. And you probably talked about the Organic Act of 1871 on the show. And we went on Constitution 3.0. Mm -hmm. I think we are going to overcome that. I have belief, I have, I have faith that that will happen. But you can see if you are this, whatever this group is, and this is sometimes too for people that I've talked to, they have a hard time believing there is a, there is a they. And you can define the they, the enemy. It's not nation state warfare. It might be a nation state contractor, right? Or, or at least the communist party of one nation as mm. the contractor to deploy this stuff. It's like, well, you do the, you do all this stuff or we're going to, or we're going to destroy your country. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're kind of obligated. Or maybe you want to say, yeah, that sounds good to us. We'll rule the world for you. We yeah, already we'll, rule we'll our play entire ball. country. Yeah, what do we care? We'll play ball. Yeah, we already have communism here. So you only have the few of us to take care of because we rule the rest of our nation with communism, which you guys taught us. Communism is great if you want to rule like a hive, Yeah. right? Like a queen in a hive. And then you've got the Americans that say, nope. Uh, we're not we're not going to we're not going to abide by that. We're going to rebel. And maybe their plans, their plans haven't worked out as well as they wanted to. Uh, they wanted them to. And then here we are bringing public awareness on the alternative platforms. Probably you'd agree that, well, if you had access to the major mainstream platforms, the spread of information, awareness and awakening would have just been faster. But they control those platforms. I mean, is it true that Twitter or Facebook or both were actually DARPA creations? Because you heard a bunch of people there, you, you plan a bunch of bots, and, and when you get a bot that says, yeah, this is crap, don't listen to those people pushing ivermectin, you got a bunch of people that are subject to the screen flicker, the peer, EMF, yeah. and the constant you know ingraining of that. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah I've, ivermectin yeah, is you're, crap. You're, I always bring that up. Yeah, it's propaganda 2.0. You're on a phone. You know, 100,000 people fills up a stadium. If you're in a stadium, you feel that 100,000 people. If you're on a phone and somebody says ivermectin's bullshit and it just says 100,000 people like this comment, all that is is 100K written with pixels on your phone, but you go, that's a stadium of people. It might be three people. It might, or it might it might be all 100,000 because I'll tell you, when I, when I did carry the bag, that's the euphemism for being a drug sales rep, we had, we had sales training. And I really didn't, you know, like this. So when I'm 27 years old, I thought the job, job was cool, right? And first of all, we were taught, okay, you break your doctor personality into one of four categories. You got your analytical type. You got your good old boy. You got to talk to him like a buddy. Uh, you've got the one that's in a hurry. You got another one, you know, four different types, right? And you change your personality to most emulate them mm -hmm. or at least understand how to respond to one of these four categories, that was one thing. The other thing is the very simple thing. I was taught by my manager at the time. And I'm like, you know what? You guys typically don't hire pharmacists. Why did you hire me? He says, because the drug you're selling is a dog and nobody else wants the job. So if you want it, I'm tired of interviewing for it. You can have it. It wasn't 
Claritin at the time. Mm. I got some other drug that really didn't sell. I said, am I really going to be able to do this job? He says, you know what? All I have to have you do is show up. I could have a UPS driver drop off pizza boxes and, and move market share. He said, so if you show up and say anything, it'll work. You'll be beating half the sales reps out there because we know that all you have to do is visit a medical practitioner seven times. It takes up to seven. Maybe you'll make an impact after the first visit, but if you don't, make a total of seven visits. And what our data shows in the drug industries, we will influence 80% of prescribers you come in contact with. So that was his message to me. Robert, all you got to do is show up and you'll move market share. Put your face up. So imagine how much money is spent, how much sophistication is spent by the pharmaceutical industry, which has changed in rank in Congress, by the way, number of lobbying dollars spent. Some years it's number one, some years it's number two, some years it's number three. But the pharmaceutical industry lobby is so powerful in Congress, which begins with CON for a reason, in my opinion, uh, that it would be ranked first, second, or third, uh, you know, any given year as far as what it contributed in, in terms of lobbying dollars. So we've got the social media aspect, we've got the direct to consumer aspect, and we have the influence over three letter agencies in Congress. And sometimes people ask me after a discussion like this, how did we get to where we are with the state of what medicine is today? And I said, I just, I just explained it to you. And now we have to swing the pendulum the other way. You're using an alternative uh, platform. I'm, I subscribe to several channels on Rumble. I'm going to subscribe to yours today. Uh, I'm with, uh, you know, I'm in a what's called the fringe compounding space. Although luckily we're we're growing in compounding pharmacy. I'm associated with uh, the wellness company, and together we're just moving the needle slowly, patient by patient, to just talk about the alternative things that do, in fact. Integrate. I mean, that's my channel title, Chief of Integrated Therapeutics, to integrate traditional medicine, alternative therapies, lifestyle management, to at least help people remain healthy. And at the very, very least, hey, you have an acute COVID issue, potentially uh, you're a long hauler, you're vaccine injured, and those symptoms are really the same, and you want to talk to a practitioner that's open-minded and trained on this stuff? Okay, that's what we're offering through the telehealth program. And although awareness is not as big as it would be through the major platforms. There are people that are aware and we're helping as many as we can. And it's kind of about just showing up is enough to move the needle. That's kind of true with just an alternative platform is like, you really just got to show up and not, and not ban everyone for everything. It's pretty simple right now. It's, you kind of just have to show up. You just have to show up and not be, you know, not be tiptoeing and, yeah, well, uh, he, she, they, them, and, 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 and Slava Ukraini and Lizzo's stunning and brave. Like, just by sitting here and being a normal person where you're like, nah, I don't like fat chicks. Like, that alone is just like a a normal statement, right? You say that, people are like, oh, you're body shaming. No, I'm not. I'm just saying it's not for me, man. Go for it. I don't care. Like, but even just little things like, no, I don't think America's the great state. And I kind of like it. I think it's kind of fucking cool to own a gun. It's just like... The, uh, the threshold of being a normal human is so low right now. And people are so starved of it. Of like, well, is that an offensive thing? Is that No, it's not at all, man. Just, just to do that, the threshold is so low to win people over. Because they've been on YouTube or Facebook for so many years where it's, you can't post that, and well, I don't want to go to Facebook jail, and I don't want to get censored, that people have forgotten what it's like to just, just talk shit. Like... You can say stuff and just not mean it. When I'm like, when I'm like my close friends of this podcast, this Muslim dude, all we ever do is like make jokes about him being a terrorist. <laughs> and people are like, you shouldn't say that. I'm like, he starts it. He comes on my show and starts it. like, that's the funny thing. And it's like, he's married to a Jewish woman. He couldn't be more of a normal loving dude. But like, he constantly is like making memes of himself as a terror. And like, that's what's funny. And you know, I'm a white guy with blue eyes. He 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 jokes about me being like a like a neo-Nazi fascist. It's a joke. And just acting normal and joking, people are like, "Oh yeah. Like we have been our tolerance has been so stripped in just 2 or 3 years of what it's like to just talk shit and be not even talking about medicine and gun ownership and border control and and having a nation, just the simplest things of just being someone normal, I think that threshold is so low. And people are, 
the receptors are so bare. It's like not having coffee for a year and then drinking an espresso. You're going to fly through the wall. And it's and in one sense, they've kind of done us a favor that it's so simple. They just have someone on my... I have so many doctors who open up immediately because I'll just open the show and just swear. And you immediately see, like, their shoulders drop. And they just, like, really like, oh, this isn't... I'm not on Fox News or CNN. But, like, welcome to the show, man. Like... I've got a fucking migraine and a half. Like, how are you doing? And the, you see them, like, kind of loosen their tie. They're like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is just a normal human, <laughs> right? And I think that, I think you can project that onto so many facets of just, I think that's why people are so drawn to Joe Rogan. He's, he's just, he's just a guy. Just he's talking. real. And, he's and, and you know, human. everything that. Flaw, sure, but we all do. All the stuff you just said really resonates with me because I live my life uh, that way, so uh first of all i'm glad you mentioned swearing because sometimes i get on a, a call and i might be the first one to swear sometimes i'm not and somebody else will and everybody is oh great you guys swear I, like, yeah i, I always, I always like, let the guest um, i always let the guest break the seal i'm like i don't know who they are you'll yeah. say you'll hear him say fuck and you're like there we go my man <laughs> they're like robert why are you relieved i said you know what i don't trust people who never swear they're yeah. deceitful fuckers yeah so, they're, they're lying motherfucker. yeah they, yeah i'm like you've got i'm like so you've got lie. you've got bodies under your basement if they're like, you know, I try not to swear and I'd ever drink Diet Coke. And I'm like, you've there's you've murdered someone. You've buried yeah. a body in a field somewhere or you're like and, torturing you know, small animals. Something's wrong with you. <laughs> when you talk about making jokes, which is because as adults, we should all be tolerant and not hypersensitive. Because how much of society, movies, television have taught us this is what you should be pissed off about. And here's how you should react. Here's your guideline, because our, you know, the they, our goal is to divide Divide yeah. you is we're going to divide you by religion, divide you by race, divide you, divide you, divide you. Right. So I, I, I take it a martial arts school. I, t- I teach at this martial arts school. Monday nights is, is my night. I, I teach an adult class. Hey, I've got a student, Muslim guy, and we've gotten to know him. I mean, he, we're all part of the same tribe. Yeah. Right. And, you know, when we're doing techniques on each other and, and we crank up the intensity, like, look, you know, go ahead and hit. Don't injure somebody. You know, don't poke him in the eye. Don't don't give him a hand sword to the throat. But. But hey, you're gonna crack the abdomen or something like that. You know, make make contact, right? Go ahead and do that, and and then dude will just perform like magnificently well. And like, and it, you, you'll have a guy that took the shot and it'll be respectful. It's like, oh, wow, man, that was a good shot. I'm like, yeah, good. I say, hey, just Steve, just make sure you know you know who he is, right? Just check under your car, make yeah. sure there's nothing blinking. Make sure your car's not gonna blow when up you, yeah. when, when you leave. Yeah. When you, so we all make a joke like that because when you make the joke. I think that's a way of acknowledging there are groups of people that want us to be so hypersensitive and react all the time. And we just say, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're going to it's, joke with each other about this shit. It's almost it's almost like being an undercover cop. And like you make the cop do a felony so that, you know, he's like he's you know, he's in the mob, you know, he's with you. Right. Mm-hmm. There's something about that. Or like like my buddy Siraj he works at Rumble. He's a Muslim guy. And like, I remember, I think I like, I like texted him on nine eleven, and I was like, Hey, I know today's always a difficult day for you. And he was like, I mean, you know, he's like, I miss my uncle dearly. <laughs> Best pilot I've ever met. Oh, <laughs> right. But it's just like a, there's like a sort of like, yeah, like you're not, it's like, you're not wearing a wire. You're not a narc. There's just like a, I don't, of course, none of that's serious, but there's just that sort of like, you're not a pussy kind of thing. Right. And it's, there's like a that's like that's like our modern day like bonding ritual right and this like hypersensitive hyper pc use the right pronoun or you should be gassed to death kind of world that's almost a way of like you like pulling your shirt like yeah i'm not wearing a wire at the drug deal kind of thing it's like how you know they're another normal human and like those are like the friends i'll make like from the podcast or the ones who are like normal people like they'll come on like i do like a gaming stream at night and that's immediately how you relax you're like what are we gonna do like i don't know man we're just gonna play this game and go shoot some civilians or something <laughs> burst out laughing they're like oh, i fucking love grand theft auto and it's like bam right there that's like a year's worth of bonding in nine seconds right and most people the vast majority of people operate on that wavelength but no one wants to say it if no one else is saying it online. And all you have to do is just kind of be yourself. And then when you can establish that trust, 
Well, then you can start talking about other stuff. And it's like, yeah, man, so I do interview these doctors, and they do say that fertility is going down. Well, now all of a sudden, people have begun to trust me more. They're like, well, Tommy is just a normal guy. Maybe he isn't lying about this. And maybe the people that, you know, will shadow ban your post because you misgendered someone, maybe they're not the most honest, normal human beings. Maybe they would lie about a safe and effective generic drug. So you start to see how this stuff cascades. So it, it starts as a joke, texting Siraj on 9-11, but it becomes much more serious, and it has much greater implications. So I don't really know where you're going with that, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, where, where I think about this in my mind, having two kids that are homeschooled, mm -hmm. and one of the things I've observed, we were talking, uh, the long arc for me drew on, gosh, the influence of this of these large social media internet behemoths, how much control they have versus the alternative platforms, which are growing rapidly, which I'm very thankful for, but how much control they have over influencing perception and the American psyche with the goal of keeping people divided and pissed off. And one of the things I, I said to my, my wife, who endures all of the, the homeschooling at home, right? Yeah. She, she handles it all, is, uh, you know, we have been very cognizant to extremely limit screen time for the boys. And I'm, I've been opening up to allowing more screen time that, you know, that we control because there's an Elon Musk quote that really stuck with me and thinking about, gosh, what are the careers going to be like in, in five or six years when, when the first boy is going to be of college age? Are there a lot of college degrees that are going to be worth it at the time? Or should we just collect skills? And Elon Musk said, you know, you can become useful and relevant in anything in three months for free on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And that's what I focus on at this moment in time for my boys. Listen, I don't start thinking about, I'm gonna do this or this or this for my career. Start acquiring skills. You know how to cook. We know how to we know how to do some bushcraft. You know, that's yeah. cool shit that boys can do, right? Yeah. I was in Boy Scouts and I'm not taking my boys to Boy Scouts because yes, we have a Las Vegas troop with two girls. Yeah, I'm like, nope. I'm just, just not gonna participate there. Yes, they learn martial arts. They, they're learning how to teach it. The older one's learning how to teach it. I said, hey, you want to make cool stuff? Let's have a little maker business. Maybe I'll buy a CNC machine uh, sometimes this year, and you'll learn how to use um, the uh, the software, the 3D yeah. design stuff. I don't know how to use it. You know, collect skills. So that's where we focus their screen time, because I was convinced when we used to allow them to say, look, you can get an hour a week, watch whatever you want. It's got to be a kid's show, watch whatever you want. Their behavior changed. And their behavior changed that they're arguing with each other, that they're back talking and arguing with my wife and me. What's going on? What are you guys watching? And a kid's show that's supposedly about learning about marine biology or learning about aerospace engineering with these characters, the way those characters talk to each other, they smart and they snip back, taught them how to behave. And then they're in group act activities more than just martial arts. My wife was a classically trained professional ballerina mm -hmm. performer out here in Las Vegas in, in one of the off-Broadway shows. And, sure. and, and, and the boys pursue that too. And, and they're in that. And it's like, when I'm looking at all the other kids that are around, and the vast majority of the kids behave that way, like these characters that are difficult to deal with. And I told my wife, I said, you know what? We're never going to let them watch that crap again. Because it, it brings them home, and they start acting that way to each other. They're always in conflict. They conflict with us. And now everybody in the house is stressed. Because I'm convinced that those shows are designed to make kids difficult to parent. So parents can't wait to kick them the hell out of the door when they're old enough. Gosh. Yeah. And, and there's no family bonding. And as soon as we limited the screen time, the younger one, he held on to the habits longer than the old one. And we point out to them, we're like, okay, look, we changed uh, dance schools, by the way. So, okay, we changed dance schools because of the behavior of some of the other students. Look how they treated you. Look how they picked on you. Look how they pick on each other. Everything is mean. It's nasty. Do you like that? No, they're always in defense mode. I said, no, let's go to the uh, martial arts school. And and they know it. They probably, the family probably, at least one of them watches a show like this, uh, uh, the De La Hoya family, Oscar's cousin, has seven kids. And they are that whole family is so polite, so nice to each other. They glow with loving energy. They're so supportive of each other, of other kids at the school. And they're a great example for my wife and I to tell the boys, say, you know what? If you want to have friends, you have friends like that, not the ones that pick on you. And, it, and you know what else those parents did? Those parents homeschooled their children. And they both used to work for the school district here in Las Vegas. But they homeschooled all seven children. Seven. I mean, seven. Think about that. Yeah. Seven. And they homeschooled all seven. I mean, some of them, I think the youngest one is 
seven or eight, um, you know, so about the, about the age of, of our youngest. It's like, that's, and, and look how they treat each other. Look how they treat other people around. That's how we want you guys to behave. And when we pulled away that designed screen time, you know, 10,000 foot view as a, as a parent, rather than sticking a screen in front of them to parent them because they're so difficult to deal with when they don't have the screen in front of them, it's made a big advance. So let's extrapolate that to what you and I were talking about earlier, how much the mainstream platforms influence perception. You, you get a bunch of bots or legit people, ivermectin is crap, ivermectin is crap, how dare you, this is stupid, I'm a PhD. And how many people did they capture and say, well, yeah, you, you, yes, you're right, it's, it's stupid. I, I'm with you, I'm on your team. I'm gonna go shame everybody who supported that. That's how that, that mindset capture is done and shows like this have to break that, which, which you are, and look at, I'm sure your follower base has grown and there's maybe even more people that'll listen to something either you or I said on this show and say, I never thought of that before. And then we capture, they influence a couple other friends or they call up one of their Muslim buddies and say, dude, can you come over? We, we need to have a chat or a coffee, but I'm going to check, make sure you're not wearing a vest. Yeah. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make yeah. a joke about it. Yeah, and then he'll make a joke to you and be like, "Yeah, I know you're Catholic, man. Just don't touch my kids." Like, you know, mm-hmm. make some fucking right. And that's and yeah. that's, but again, that is how you win over people. And yeah, it's so obvious too. I mean, I was on YouTube until I got perma banned from them, and I'm on you know. So I moved over to Rumble in like summer, almost two years ago exactly, and I've gotten almost like five and a half million downloads just in two years on like a alternative platform not even i'm on a platform that is a fraction of the size of youtube and my channel has grown exponentially on this smaller platform so to me i'm like that just that right there that's like the proof is in the pudding once you have a platform that isn't censored and shadow banned and and throttled you go oh what people are after it's really so simple like sometimes i'll come into the show and i'll be like i gotta do x y and z and then other times I'm like, no, like the mainstream has so numbed people to what reality is that I don't have to do anything. It's like, it's like, a, it's like if I went to Japan, like one of my friends went to Japan, we were talking about it last night. So if you go there, like people take pictures of you just cause you're like, you're tall and white. <laughs> like, like you don't have to do anything. Like you're just a celebrity. That's kind of what it's like now that people have been so their tolerance has just been sapped. They don't even know what's real anymore and what's acceptable anymore. Who's a man and who's a woman and what's hateful and what isn't and what's what what new psyop is? Do I support this? Does that mean I support that? And everyone's just walking on ice. And then you come over to this show and it's just like, "What's up, motherfucker?" And it's just this weird like water in the face. And they're almost it's almost like Jason Bourne. Like they're starting to remember. They're like, "Who am I? I used to hear that term." And I'm like, you're a fucking loser. And they're like, I used to talk to my friends. Like, like they're like weird keywords that are like, I used to be in college and drink and talk shit. Like, and it's so easy. People are just kind of reverting back to who they were. And so in some cases, I mean, in some sense, like uh, the current paradigm has almost benefited me because it is so stripped people of any remembrance of what it's like to even just be normal and just talk shit just for the sake of it because it's just a natural way to get through the day they've almost done me a favor so i don't know maybe i'm thankful for them i'm so glad to hear that and i'm glad your channel your following is growing it it'll continue it will continue and you're doing it without bots you know it, you're you're doing it without the influence despite everything that exists to keep this information your just your your wavelength suppressed you know, it's grown. I mean, I'll be honest, from a business perspective with my farmers, there's been a couple of times I thought, you know what, uh, the business has come in cycle since I since I don't take insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's like, gosh, I don't know if this business is going to make it. And and I have to be, work really hard to find other verticals, you know, in the mm-hmm. in the compounding space that that work. And and, and it's worked out. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to stay here. I'm here for a reason, because I will be one of the ones that doesn't deny the important therapy for people. I, I mean, I don't think it's over. Uh, I think I'm real concerned this fourth quarter, like, okay, what's going to be in the flu shots? Even if there's nothing nefarious in the flu shots, what's the immune system impact of getting a flu shot? And then you kind of have a latent 
virus. You have a slow smoldering COVID, or then you get COVID. So I encourage all the scientific people to look up something called the Hoskins effect. And basically what it says is if you get immunized against something, a virus, you're actually more likely to be infected by that virus because of what's called the Hoskins effect, also known as original antigenic sin, natural immunity and natural exposure. It's a much better way to go. That doesn't mean you're not going to have disease. Okay, we know how to treat the disease. But the Hoskins effect makes you question, do we really need immunizations? Have they provided the benefits that we wanted to? Or have we actually caused a negative impact on immune defense and surveillance? And that's what these three elegant papers by a British researcher, Hoskins, uh, were all about. So I'm concerned about that. This isn't going to go away. There's always going to be something for me to do. And I've had friends of mine, other pharmacists say, well, what if everybody just got so healthy? They don't need anything. They don't need hormone replacement therapy. They don't, they don't need them. I said, well, then I'll change, I'll change my profession. I'll go from pharmacy to farming. I grew up in Pennsylvania. We had 20 head of cattle on our farm. Yeah. My grandparents had a hundred. So you're probably in an area where, you know what I was doing every weekend with my cousins, yeah. bailing hay. Yeah. We're bailing hay, bailing. I'm like, you know, I'm fine. I'll, I'll go find something else to do. But but until then, this is the space I know. I've got good people that I'm surrounded by. Um, you know, we're here to help the public with information. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be on this episode, any other episode in the future. You want to cover I'd health and to. wellness topics. You want to cover... Uh, let's I don't just know, go just, down the rabbit hole, man. I think I think we should we can go, go deeper. Let's, let's just do that. Yeah, we'll go full, we'll go full deep state World Economic Forum, all that shit. That's that's my bread and butter. That's 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 what I love. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, we'll go down the we'll go down the we can go. I've been reading so much about like World War One and World War Two and all the financing and banking and like the marriage between like the Dulles brothers and and corporations and Smedley Butler and Eisenhower and yeah, man, that's my, and that's the shit. I don't mind talking about it because people are like, you sound crazy. I'm like, this is provable U.S. history. Here are citations. <laughs> like, I don't, not talking about lizard people. I'm talking about, I'm like, no, E.H. Harriman's a real, like, banking company. Like, you, you can find that. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to do an episode with you about that sometime, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep in touch. Let's pick something. And I'll go through all of my notes that I've saved from my Admiral Bud. Fuck I mean, yeah. in addition to the reading list. Yeah. Uh, he's, has i mean for four or five years straight it's all these articles read this read this read this it's about banking it's about yeah. corporations it's about who controls africa it's yeah. about uh technology uh materials science journals mm-hmm. it yes it's about medicine it's like oh my gosh where are we and he said now you know he'll give me an example okay a lot of people may ask you about med beds yeah okay i i have no verification that med beds like in the movie elysium yeah. they they exist and I'm sure that many people who do know about a technology that is just like that or a stepping stone technology to that are under NDAs. So this is how he'll operate. He'll say, well, here's what I can tell you. Our t- we call them the pods and our top tier operators get to use them after they go out and do their stuff. Oh, dude, I long- the, the number of like tier, oh. tier one former CIA guys I've talked to outside of this show. They're like, Tommy, I know you think I sound crazy, but there are these things called med beds. And I'm like, I've heard it like independent. And I don't mean like mm-hmm. someone in the, I mean, I like Delta Force, Dev Grew. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, mul- like you're like the fifth person I've heard like multiply. I'm like, there's something fucking going on, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, all I can tell you is what he told me, what he's permitted to say. He'll say, yeah. well, here's what I can tell you. He said, our top tier guys as long as they come back and they don't have an issue that requires surgery, we put them in the pods, we call them for one or two 45 minute sessions. He says they come out good as new. And he's very emphatic about good as new, yeah. what that means. And then he sends me a couple links to the DARPA website. There's a podcast and an article on bioelectronics for tissue generation. Mm. He said, now, if that's available to the public, yeah. if you can see that, can you imagine where we really are if you can just think about that if if you can see it then you're looking at like a flip phone nokia that's right they're on the iphone if they're they're showing you the flip phone they're on the ipad and he probably knows yeah and is not allowed to disclose you know i respect that but i love how he gives me the crumbs oh yeah no i get i get if you see this here and you're just this dude who could search on the website he says imagine where we read yeah they walk you right up to it and then they're like use your imagination right yeah i love it I'll send you. I'll send you an email. Um, let's definitely schedule another one, man. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love for you to send me that that uh, book list. I, I 
I knock down an audio book about every five days. So I would love that list. I'll, they're not all audio. Some of them are, and some of them are fiction. Yeah. I mean, Tom no, no, Clancy was. Yeah, I don't care. Tom Clancy was fed information. Well, yeah, he got he investigated by the FBI because he knew you so know much. Shit. He knew so like, much about Ohio class nukes. They were like, "What do you?" Ah, right. They're like, "This is special access program shit." They're like, "How the fuck do you know this?" Like, yeah, people <laughs> yeah. to him, and, yeah. he, and, he, and he writes well about it. I mean, there's other people I think too who were also fed information. I'll just I'll just drop the name. I think Gene Roddenberry was fed information. So. Set. We have a lot of interesting stuff we can talk about. Absolutely, send me the list, and I'll, yeah, it doesn't matter if they're audiobooks or not. I'll, I'll I'll read them. I'm a voracious reader. Let's uh, let's do that for now. Let's wrap this one up because I got to hop on a phone call real quick, and then actually, speaking of who controls Africa and that, right after this or at four o'clock, I got a CIA guy coming on. We're talking about the push for war in Africa and uh, and uh, uh, re- uh, natural resources there in uranium. So the military industrial complex trudges on. But ask him if. The size of Africa, as we know it on maps and globes, is underrepresented. The true size of Africa, underrepresented. See what he has to say. All right, I'll do it. I don't care. All right. Um, um, send me send me an email so we can stay in touch. Uh, you got it. I'll give you my number. We can text and uh, give me those books and shit, and we'll definitely schedule another one. I, I'm looking forward to it, dude. Sounds good to me. Appreciate it, Tommy. Thanks All for right, having man. me on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, guys. Okay. Till next time. Recording much love. stopped. Stay safe, everybody. Where the fuck's the cursor? There it is. Peace.